The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. Welcome back to the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast. Today's topic training to failure. So you want to get as jacked and as strong as possible from your BFR sessions. And in order to do that, you need to know what volume and intensity to train at, right? So should you take your sets all the way to failure or can you stop a few reps shy and still capture all the muscle and strength building benefits? That's what we're going to get into in this episode. We're going to go over a few things though. So first we're going to explore why that's an important question to ask. In other words, does it even matter? Uh, the next thing we'll go into is both sides. So we'll, we'll go into both sides of the both different camps, the, the train to failure camp and the non failure camp. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into their logical kind of underpinning or the framework that they're built around and why one side might be a bit misguided. Uh, and most importantly, we're, we're going to review the available literature, specifically one study, a recent study uh, to tie this up and kind of provide you with a grounded consensus based on our current understanding of the BFR literature in 2022, approaching 2023. So let's get started. So why is this an important question to ask to begin with? You know, the, the first thought you have to have is, well, you know, why don't we just take every set to failure and just play it safe? We want to get as, you know, as strong and put on as much muscle as possible. Let's just play it safe. Take all of our sets to failure. Uh, that's fine. But in order to, to understand why this is an important question to ask, we need to understand a concept that's been very well popularized by Dr. Mike Isretel called stimulus to fatigue ratio. So every exercise or movement that we do in our training sessions is going to or should provide some level of stimulus to the muscle. At the same time, that exercise is going to cause a certain level of fatigue. Now, that fatigue impacts you not only in your specific training session, so the subsequent sets and reps that you do generally are, are at a reduced capacity just because you're, you're building fatigue. Uh, but that fatigue accumulates over time, over days, weeks, and months. And our goal with training is to, obviously, we want to maximize stimulus. Uh, and, and in most cases, we want to minimize fatigue as much as possible. In other words, we're not running away from fatigue. We're just trying to make sure that the dichotomy or, or we're trying to manage this dichotomy of stimulus and fatigue. So we want to maximize our training without crushing ourselves. A good example would be something like quarter squats. So you'll see a lot of people load up the bar with a weight that's significantly heavier than they're capable of lifting uh, if they were to do a traditional just you know down to parallel or or powerlifting approved squat. So you know your, your max is 405, you're throwing 585 on the bar and repping out quarter squats. What that's going to do is uh, crush you, for one. Generally, your joints are going to be extremely fatigued after that. You're going to have some some discomfort. From a central nervous system perspective, axial loading, you're, you're putting a ton of weight on your spine. However, that series of you know four sets or whatever that you're going to do of loaded quarter squats with a, a much greater weight than you're capable of moving uh, is not going to drive a ton of stimulus to your quads. In fact, in most cases with a trained athlete, you might not get any growth at all out of your quads from doing something like that. At the same time, though, it's going to crush you from a fatigue perspective. So when you look at that exercise, poor stimulus and a significant amount of fatigue, the ratio there is not favorable for hypertrophy, at least. Maybe you're training to be uh, the ultimate quarter squatter. If that's the case, great exercise. Um, otherwise, probably not. 
So let's look at a reverse example, something like a chest-supported row. The fact that your chest is supported takes some load off your spine, allows you to really focus on you know the mind-muscle connection, focus on the, the contraction, um, limited fatigue because, you're, you're, again, your spine is supported, uh, but you can really uh, get a maximum stimulus in your back is a phenomenal back exercise broadly. So there's an exercise where you get a ton of stimulus and you're minimizing fatigue. It's not no fatigue, uh, but you are paying careful attention to the fatigue aspect. And it's worth mentioning that, you know, exercises like, you know, heavy deadlifts for sets of three and five, while though, yes, they are stimulative, uh, they're also very fatiguing. That's not a bad thing. If that's part of the demand of your sport or your goals, um, the goal is not to run away from fatigue. Just the goal is to keep it in consideration. And when we're looking at BFR training, generally in, in most contexts where BFR is applied, fatigue is of chief concern. So this could be uh, during a deload. So you know the nice thing about BFR is that it can allow you to gain or maintain muscle mass and strength while training at a significantly lighter load. So part of that benefit is the reduced load could just reduce overall systemic fatigue compared to you know a load matched, uh, sorry, not a load matched, um, a heavier load session full of the same exercises. So you know during a deload is a good example. You're just fried. You're not trying to load heavy weights on your spine or or just move heavy weights in general. Uh, fatigue is of chief concern. Maybe you're an in-season athlete. You want to make sure you're holding on a muscle. You want to get a good kind of pump session in during the week, but you know, it's NFL, you got, you got a game on Sunday. Again, fatigue is of chief concern. So most cases where BFR is applied, I get one more example, uh, during rehabilitation, maybe you're trying to save some of your energetic uh, resources for the recovery process. And you know, you can't even train heavy to begin with because you're coming off maybe a torn ACL. All of these contexts are sort of uh, conducive to a low load environment where fatigue is a primary concern. And we know that, like I just mentioned, training at a a lower load can be less fatiguing just systemically. At the same time, training to failure is still training to failure. If you've taken sets to failure, uh, you undoubtedly know this. Uh, Just, you know, if you don't believe me, try doing a set of pull-ups and go until you literally can't pull yourself up anymore. Uh, Completely max out. Take a rest for, you know, two or three minutes and then come back and try to do a second set. Uh, You're obviously going to do, you're going to end up doing less reps. But if you try the, the same sort of experiment a few days later when you're fresh again, but on your first set, instead of going all the way to failure, you stop, you know, leave a couple reps in the tank. So maybe leave two or three reps in the tank and then take that same two to three minute rest and follow up with a second set. You'll notice you'll have a lot m- more uh, energy and strength going into that second set. You'll be able to perform better, put up generally more reps than you would have on your second set after taking a set to failure on the previous day. So we know that training to failure when, when you let's say you're capable of doing 10 pull-ups that's your max uh technically you cannot go further than that we know that reps 8 9 and 10 are very stimulative you know once you get past uh when there's you know generally one to four reps in the tank those those last few reps are are very stimulative at the same time they are extremely fatiguing and when we weigh out this counterbalance like we're talking like i was speaking about earlier of stimulus and fatigue the amount of fatigue that results from those last few reps generally does not outweigh the amount of stimulus that's driven. In other words, in many cases, stopping a few reps shy of failure, and we're talking traditional resistance training here, uh, but we're going to get into BFR specifically in just a second. In many cases, stopping a few reps shy of failure 
can allow you to accumulate more quality volume throughout the rest of your training session and potentially the rest of your training sort of blocks of, you know, a couple of weeks, et cetera, than it would if you were to just take every single set all the way to failure. So with that framework in mind, now that the, the picture's sort of been painted, right? We understand in most cases, BFR training, fatigue is of chief concern. We also know that whether it's traditional or BFR training, taking your sets all the way to failure is just more fatiguing than stopping a few reps shy, period. So now the only important question to ask is, you know, can you get the same benefits by stopping a few reps shy? Because if you can get the same benefits while minimizing fatigue, then... Brief pause. If you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The Comprehensive Guide to BFR Training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get back to the show. And it's a no-brainer, right? Let's just stop a few reps shy of failure and, you know, save as much possible energy as we can. So let's dive in and look at why the failure side suggests you know, that failure is necessary. And the logic does make sense. So the idea is that with BFR training, because we're training at a lighter load, we're trading some of the stimulus coming from mechanical tension. So just load. Uh, it, we're swapping it out for a more of a metabolic stimulus in order to, to achieve the same result. Uh, so we need to, because the mechanical tension is so much lower, we really have to max out from a metabolic perspective, you know, a hypoxia and metabolite accumulation. We got to like take that to the maximum in order to have an equivalent increase in strength and muscle that you would get from a higher mechanical load. Um, so that's sort of the, the framework provided by the train to failure side. Can see where that's coming from. Makes a lot of sense. But what does the data say? So right out the gate, it is a bit of a misnomer that you would need to take your sets all the way to failure in order to grasp strength and muscle building benefits. Because if you look back at most of the data that demonstrates BFR's efficacy, they, the research didn't involve taking subjects to failure in, in many cases. Uh, so it's kind of a, an odd misnomer that that theory sort of spread. We're going to take a look at a recent study by Bjornsson and colleagues because they explored the exact question that we're looking to have answered, this failure or non-failure question. Uh, it's also a recent study, which is nice, and I think the, the design was good. So let's dive in. The researchers took 17 untrained men through two blocks of training, and they wanted to compare how each protocol worked. Uh, they used a within-subject unilateral design, meaning each subject served as their own control. So put simply, they just took each of the 17 men and you know they had a BFR cuff on each leg, same cuff, same pressure, but one leg they intentionally took to failure, and then the other leg they would purposely try to avoid failure as much as possible. The study took place over two separate five-day training blocks, and they had a 10-day rest period in between. So you know, five days training, 10 days rest, and then another five-day block. During each block, they had the subjects perform one session on days one through three, and then two sessions on day four and five. So they had a total of seven sessions over five days. And then again, 10 days rest. And then they repeated that same uh, seven sessions over a five-day period one more time. Leg number one, we'll call the train to failure leg. They just did four sets of knee extensions all the way to failure under BFR. So they took every single set onto concentric failure. Leg number two, they did a popular, if, if you follow BFR, you'll be familiar with this protocol, a 30-15-15-15 protocol, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. You do a set of 30, and then you do three sets of 15 reps following that. And you have 30 seconds rest in between sets. So, you know, pretty high, uh, still high volume, 
Uh, but again, they wanted to stop shy of failure. Taking a look at how this study shook out, broadly, both protocols produced very similar outcomes in strength, uh, muscle thickness and cross-sectional area, and myonuclei and satellite cell responses. Uh, but there is a caveat. The failure protocol resulted in significantly greater perceived exertion during the sessions and then greater soreness throughout the study. This is pretty expected. Like we were just talking about, those last few reps uh, before failure are very stimulative, but they're also very fatiguing. On the strength gain side of it, we saw a pretty common exercise science theme play out called delayed supercompensation. So this just means that when you're training for a specific characteristic like power, speed, or strength, the accumulated fatigue associated with that training can prevent you from expressing the improvements that you've made in those qualities. Um, obviously, until you deload or rest, where then generally, if, if you're training properly, we'll see a supercompensation effect where just all of the adaptations that you actually made during that phase come to fruition. So the subjects experience this in both legs. Like I mentioned, uh, it's not it's not that the 30, 15, 15, 15 protocol was superbly easy. It's still difficult. And again, these subjects were untrained, which we'll get into. Uh, but they experienced sort of this delayed supercompensation effect. When you look at how they tested on the final training block, so right after the final block, their max voluntary isometric contraction strength was below baseline. So it was actually worse than before they started. Uh, their max 1RM strength was kind of equal, didn't really improve at all. Uh, so they're looking effectively worse than when they started. But when you watch what happens over you know, the next 24 days after the final training block, you see pretty significant strength improvements in both legs, anywhere from 6 to 11%. But what does this study tell us exactly? From this study specifically, uh, we, can, we can get a pretty clear picture that you know whether you train to failure or whether you stop a few reps shy, you're going to get likely fairly equivalent strength gains. So there was no significant difference between the failure and non-failure limb. But those equivalent strength gains, again, strength and hypertrophy gains, come at a much greater energy cost, you know, greater perceived exertion, greater soreness, uh, and greater accumulated fatigue throughout that block or, you know, however long your, your training cycle is. And in this case, it was, you know, a total of, call it, uh, what is that, 20 days. Before we get ahead of ourselves, though, and call this the end of the story, it is important to at least acknowledge some of the limitations of the study. First and foremost, these subjects were untrained. So we can't immediately assume that, you know, if you're somebody who has three, five, 10 years of training experience, uh, we can't just immediately assume that you're going to get the same exact adaptations as these untrained subjects. That said, though, this isn't the only study demonstrating BFR's efficacy. Uh, there have been plenty conducted at this point with trained subjects as well. So that's good to hear. And again, the within subject unilateral design should bolster some of the, I guess, should give some weight to this because technically both of their limbs were equally as untrained from the onset. Limitation number two would be time frame. Uh, this study took place over two five-day training blocks with a 10-day rest period. So fairly short time window. What does training with BFR to failure or not to failure look like over you know weeks, months, years? That's something we'll have to continue to just investigate over time. And then lastly, it's worth mentioning that some of the subjects in the non-failure group actually did hit failure on, on some of their sets. Uh, there was still a fairly clear distinction between the failure and non-failure group. So they only hit failure. It only occurred in about half the subjects and only on the first block of training and only on one set. So that last set. So, you know, when you look at from a cumulative perspective over the two training blocks, it was very rare that that people hit failure. And I don't think it should be, it shouldn't ruin the credibility of this at all. It's just something to, to keep in mind, have to mention it. Uh, but again, it occurred very infrequently, half the subjects 
only in one set and only on the first block. Didn't occur in the second block at all. So where does this leave us? When we weigh this study with the abundance of additional existing BFR literature, we can be pretty confident that stopping a few reps shy of failure with BFR specifically is not only effective, but it might be just as effective as stopping a few reps shy at you know less of an energy cost. If you look at you know legendary sports scientist Greg Knuckles, the way he puts this is the 30-15-15-15 protocol is a great place to start. And if you want to cover all your bases, just try pick a weight that you takes you pretty close to failure. Leave a few reps shy, you know, leave a few reps in the tank. And if you want to just really cover all your bases, take that last set to failure. If you apply that to your training, you'll not only drive incredible stimulus to the muscle, but also minimize fatigue so you can keep on pushing the boundaries of your performance. And that's it. So get after it. Don't be afraid to stop a few reps shy of failure. And don't be afraid to take your sets all the way to failure either. Just understand the potential trade-off in terms of energy, stimulus, fatigue, etc. So have a great week. Stay strong. And we'll see you on the next one.